Good morning. My name is Joey. Um, I don't belong here. Although, as Jeremy was introducing and inviting you all into what is happening here, he um, introduced his congregation at as a dysfunctional family, so maybe I do belong here. Uh, yeah, my name is Joey Parsons. I'm from Loveland, Colorado. I've been a pastor up there for several years, and um, Jason asked me to come and speak this morning, so that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be looking at kind of a strange passage. I doubt any of you, and if you have ever heard this passage as a Christmas passage, please do let me know, but I bet you haven't. It's Philippians. It's the end of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 10 through whenever I stop. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up, follow along with me. This is from Philippians chapter 4. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know That in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to a text like this. It was written long ago to people who we may think we have absolutely no connection with. And our request this morning is that you'd open hearts and minds that we would see and hear the things that you want us to see and hear. And wherever it may be that we are in life, because there's a, there's a diversity within this group, most certainly. There's joys um, and there's great pain and hardship. There are those that are sitting here who believe the things that we've walked through in this service and sung about and prayed about, those that are questioning and maybe those who simply don't believe any of this at all. You're a God who can meet us where we are, and we ask that you do just that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Christmas is a strange time. Some um, love it, right? Some of us enjoy this time. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Other other of us think it is the worst time of the year for a variety of reasons. And especially from the church, often you hear about the commercialization and the materialization of Christmas and how bad that is, and yet we still engage in it. And I would say that, you know, obviously we've got to critique our culture. 
And there are certainly some negatives within our culture, even when it comes to Christmas time. But I would say behind every negative, it's a twisting of something that was good and positive. So I don't know that evil is an entity. Evil is a twisting of something good. So even in our culture, if you're going to talk about the bad part of Christmas now, what's the good piece? And I think we could enumerate many good pieces that are behind. I think one of the the echoes that you get within within culture at Christmas time is this desire for generosity. The desire for generosity is, I think, a good thing, right? Would you agree that it's a good thing? Don't we want a culture and a people that are, are generous people? I would say that Paul, in the midst of saying many other things, what is under the the surface of what he's communicating, especially to the Philippians throughout the letter, and then especially at the end here, is this. Humanity flourishes as generosity flows. Humanity and community flourishes as generosity flows. And we may disagree on where to give, what to give, to whom to give, but the human animal is made to give. We flourish under generosity. We're at our best when we're generous. So I'm going to look at three questions. Uh, why give? What keeps us from giving? And how is it that we become radical givers? So this idea of why give, and you could ask it in another, you could say why should we give, but I'm not talking so much about what you should do, but what is it, what's the reason for why we give? I think from Paul we see three things that, that connect with us. We give because of opportunity, we give because of community, and we give because of productivity. We give because of opportunity. Paul says, I rejoice that you started giving again now that you have, in verse 10, opportunity. You got an opportunity. What was their renewed opportunity? Well, they either realized there was a need, they finally had a way to get him money, or they simply had resources again. The the point is for us is we give, and we probably should give, because of opportunity. Opportunity requires what? Opportunity requires two fundamental things. It requires need and it requires resources. In order to give, in order to grow as a generous people, if we are going to give, we've got to see need and we have to have resources. And I'll get into that a little bit more, but I just want to lay it out on the table first. So why give? Because of opportunity. Second thing is community. Paul says they shared in his troubles, verse 14, they were partnering with him in the ministry. The whole passage is about the Philippians connecting with Paul personally and with the mission or the purpose that Paul is all about. So we should give because we are connected to community. The reason that you're going to ever give, honestly, is because you're connected. You're going to either be connected to a people and or you're going to be connected to a purpose of a people, right? Isn't this the reason why we give? We're connected to maybe a vision. Paul wasn't getting money because he was going on a vacation tour of the Roman Empire. That's not why he was taking money. He was on a mission. He was a mission to carry a message of good news. And he was on a mission of helping those that were in need. This third aspect, reasons for why. We give because of opportunity and we give because of community. But we also give because of productivity. Paul says, I don't really seek the gift, the money that you have sent my way. What I really seek is, in verse 17, the fruit that increases to your credit. This is this idea of 
productivity. What does this mean? Generosity produces and it increases fruit in lives. This is strange or maybe not such a strange thing. We lose financially when we give. We lose our time when we give. We lose maybe resources when we give. But there's also a fruit that increases. Obviously, when, when I give to you, you're gaining something. There's a fruit there. But Paul's saying something even deeper. He's saying when you give, when you let go of things, there's actually a fruit that increases in your own life. Jesus puts it this way. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him, deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will... Find it. There's something that you actually gain by losing. You watch people who willingly choose to give of themselves, and often there's something, there's something deeper that happens inside of them, right? Something that, that radiates from them. It's a fruit of the joy, peace, hope, love, all these characteristics that we talk about during Christmas time, these things are enhanced. They, they come out of people that are generous. Generous people smell good. If you get around them, if you lick them, I'm sure they taste good. There's a, Paul calls it a, a fragrant aroma to their offering. This is a sacrifice that's acceptable, it's pleasing to God, it pleases God, not in the sense of earning favor, it's not, he's not saying be generous so that God will love you more, he's, he's saying it's a sense that we're living out of the design that we were made for, and that's, that's pleasing to God. In some way, it helps to build community. It remakes society. It images God. We're made in this image of the one who made us. And when we are generous, we begin showing that to the world. Community flourishes when generosity flows. Uh, When you get a present from someone that you love, what gives that gift deeper, longer significance? So when I give, and I'm glad my wife is not here this morning, when I give flowers, which I do every single week, I don't, I don't remember the last time I gave my wife flowers, or jewelry, I'm not a big jewelry person. I did get her an iPhone recently, and she was appreciative of that. So if, if a stranger gives my wife flowers or jewelry or an iPhone, one, I will beat him up. But besides that, would she be accepting of the gift? Yes, my wife would be accepting of the gift. She wants the gift, okay? She'll take the gift. But when I give it to her out of a sense of love and care for her, does it carry a deeper meaning? It's nice to have the flower. The flower's going to fade and go away. What else is being given? There's something else. There's something immaterial, something you can't quite describe when you get a gift from someone you love. What's that from? It's from a generous, generous heart, when we give generously, we produce, we, we give something deeper than just the gift. And you know it's true, you've experienced it, but you can't experience it without also giving of ourselves. So we give because of opportunity, we give because of community, we give because of productivity. Humanity flourishes when generosity flows. So, why don't you give more? If this is all true, and, and, may, and I don't know, you guys, you guys have intrigued me from a distance. I've been very curious to see you, to see what kind of community has 
been born here. And you may be the most generous people in the world. Maybe you don't even struggle with this. If so, go ahead and take your nap and catch up with me at the end of the sermon. But if for any reason you do struggle with a generous heart, with actually giving, why is that the case? Okay, I want to talk about a couple of practical things and then something that's a little deeper. Missed opportunity, this is why we don't give. Disconnection from community, this is why we don't give. And ultimately the disposition of the heart. There's this missed opportunity. When we don't give, there's a reason. And the reason is we either don't know a need or we have resources that are directed in a different place. Those are the reasons why we don't give. Sometimes you simply do not know what the need is around you. And you don't give. If you do not know, and this is why authenticity, what Jeremy was talking about, about being a family, this is why it's important for for this, whatever this is, the church, this community, to be real with each other. Why? Because you need to know each other's needs. So if you don't know needs, you can't give. And then if you don't have resources, and oftentimes we don't have resources for a multitude of reasons, maybe it's because this is a hard time for us, we don't have good work, um, our time is spent with many other things. Sometimes it's because we overstretch ourselves, right? Most of us have resources. We're just directing those resources in different places. And if that's the case, I encourage you to get help. You know, if you're, over, if you're stretched too far in a certain place and you want to be giving more, then let's work on that. There's, there's ways to, to work on that. We don't give because of these missed opportunities. Don't know the need or resources are being redirected. And along with this, we may not give because we are disconnected. We're disconnected from community, from people, and the bigger purpose in life. Why is it that we get disconnected? Well, again, that's for a whole nother sermon. That's for a whole nother conversation about why it is that we get disconnected. But sometimes it's because, you know what, I'm not, I'm not giving and I'm not really connecting because I'm not sure I trust. I'm not sure that I'm, I'm, I can trust the people that I'm supposed to be giving to with the gifts that I'm going to give them. We're not sure that maybe they deserve these gifts. Possibly. Maybe this is why we hold back. Maybe they're going to squander it. And in the case of the church, (laughs) maybe you don't trust the church, which there's kind of reason that you may feel that way. And honestly, so if if you're a part of this, if you're one of those followers of Jesus and this is your community, Are you growing to know and love one another? And are you giving? If you're not and you're questioning this thing and you're not even sure about the whole message of the Jesus thing, then don't give because you don't need to be pouring your resources into things that you're not sure you believe in where you're not connected to a community. So this lack of connection to community, to needs, is a reason that we don't often give generously. But understanding these areas... We can enumerate a ton more that probably fit under one of these categories of opportunity and community. But in the end, generosity is about the disposition of the heart. Ultimately, it is. What's the real desire of your heart? And you say, maybe I don't give because honestly, I have better things to do with my time, my money, my talents than to just give them. Maybe it's fear and elevated concern for yourself or your family Okay, I too have four kids. Seems like everybody that's talked today had four kids. Jeremy, you have four kids? Yeah, you have four kids. All right, so mine are 
probably a little bit older than yours because I'm older than you, as you see with my gray hair. My youngest is in um, seventh grade, I think. Yes, seventh grade. And the oldest is a freshman in college. A freshman in college. Four kids. I have six teen years worth of college education that started this year. (laughs) I'm getting nauseous even as I say that. Are there other things to do with my money and my time and my resources? Yes, and we struggle with this, right? We often get distracted by or We are drawn into the care of our family. This is a major issue for us today. Whether this is right or wrong, reality is, the bottom line is, there are things that are more important to us than others. And we're going to give and we're going to invest and we're going to sacrifice for what? Always, always, what's most valuable to you. I don't, I don't know that I like saying that. You probably don't like hearing that, but it's just reality. You will give to what, what is most valuable to you, what is most important to you. Jesus said it this way, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the point. Here's the heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The disposition of my heart will never be changed. Because here's the issue. Why don't I give? Because of the disposition of my heart. My heart, the disposition of my heart is never going to be changed simply by getting my finances in order. By taking a financial peace university class. Great class. Fantastic. Go do it. But it's not going to change your heart. It's not going to change by some preacher standing up here and guilting you into giving more. I hate preachers for that reason. Guilt. What does guilt do to you? Okay, so let's say I can guilt you into giving more. What does that do to you? Well, I think it does one of two things, or here's the spectrum of two things it does. It makes you bitter, right? You say, this is why I don't come to church. Because those guys try to take my hard-earned money. And I finally give, and I'm not giving because I want to. I'm giving because I feel guilty. Bitterness. And the other extreme is pride. So you actually are guilted into giving, and then you reflect, and you're like, yeah, that's right, I gave. Darn right I gave, and I gave more than he did, I'm sure. Look at him. And there's this idea of there's this condescension. When you're guilted into giving, it doesn't change your heart. It can't change your heart. How can all this be fixed? How can, how can we not simply give more, but rather grow to be radically generous givers? Because the goal is not for you to give more. The goal is for you to be a generous giver, for a generous heart. How does this happen? All right? Two really practical things, and then the heart of the matter. How do you grow to be a radical giver? Realize the opportunities in front of you. Some of us need to open up our eyes at the needs that are around us, and then also evaluate what the resources are that we have that we can direct toward those needs. Practical, right? That's a good thing. Look at, look for, realize opportunities. Commit yourself to community. You want to become a radical giver? You need to be connected to a community. You need to be connected to people. And you need to be connected to a purpose. Working out the purpose in a community draws out of us sometimes giving. I've got a friend. Well, he has become a friend. I'm on the nonprofit organization in Loveland. 
and there was a guy who was looking to buy our building because we were trying to sell it to move to a new place. And in the process of coming to look to buy the building, he found out about the organization. It's called Alternatives to Violence. And was recruited to be a board member. Guy had no contact with the organization before. I doubt ever gave any money to it. But over the next three years or so, he got to know the people and the purpose of the organization. Last year, he's a very successful guy. He made a lot of money. And he gave a lot of money to the organization. Why? Why? Because he was connected. He's not, he's not a follower of Jesus or anything. He just got connected to the people and he got to connected to the purpose. Does connection help you become generous? It helps you give. I know that much. But something's missing. Something, something's, still not, something's still not right here. All this rhetoric about giving and generosity and commitment blows away in the winds of trials. They won't change your sinner. That we caught heart. The Hebrews called it their guts. It won't change the the affection of your being. So what's going to ever do that? Paul says, here's my prayer. Here's what will enable you more and more to give, not just because you have to, but because of generosity. He says in verse 19, my God, my God will supply every need of yours according to what? according to his riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. What is going to make us radical givers? There's only one thing, in my opinion, and in Paul's opinion. You've got to receive riches. You want to be a radical, a radically generous person, you have got to receive riches. You can't give what you don't have. Oh, I love this organization, this thing, and I want to give to it, but I have no money. Well, you can't give to it then. You have to receive riches if you're going to be a radical giver. God, who is, is a God who gives. There is only one God, and this God who is, is a God who gives. That is his very nature. God gives because he realizes opportunities. He sees need, and he has resources. He is committed to community. He knows and commits to people and to his purpose. But this all flows out of the heart of his riches. He gives not just the leftovers, the unwanted. I've got a garage full of stuff because I've been working on cleaning our basement the last month, and my kids are getting older, so I've got to get rid of a bunch of stuff. I've got a ton of stuff in my garage that I've got to take to Goodwill this, this week. Am I going to take it to Goodwill because I'm such a generous person? I don't want the stuff in my garage. That's why I'm getting rid of it. When God gives, he doesn't give the stuff that he was planning to give to goodwill anyway. He doesn't give because it's a good tax write-off. It says he gives out of the core of his glorious, fantastic, incredible riches. What are the riches? Well, back up a little bit. What are your riches? I mean, if you're going to talk about the riches in your life, what are they? Is it, is it your bank account? Is it your car? If you saw what I drove up in today, you'll realize it's not my car. I drive a 92 Toyota Corolla. I love my car. It ain't my riches. Is, is it your car? Is it your bank account? Is it your accomplishments, maybe? Your awards, your position? All right. Here's the penultimate, and I say that intentionally, the penultimate core of my riches. If you were to walk into my... Oh, well now, 
talk really loud. This is why they don't usually allow me to have the, um, the Janet Jackson headset. <laughs> I like the little lapel mic that, click, that clips to my shirt because then when I start dancing around, it doesn't fall off. We good? Can you hear me? We're good. All right. I'm trying to not move so much. Penultimate. Yeah, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, generosity. So if you walk into my house and you go into the den and you look to the right, you're going to see, well, right now you're going to see a big Christmas tree. But behind the Christmas tree, before the Christmas tree, you're going to see something hanging on the wall. What do you think is hanging on the wall? What do you think? What? What? Pictures, right? And they're pictures of what? Okay, I've got, I've got Jordan. There are five pictures. Jordan, Hannah, Abigail, Katie, and they're in that order. And then the center of it is an old picture that we either need to destroy or take a new one of because I look bad, of the whole family. That is my riches. My home, my bank account, my car, they're important, and they're, they're good things. But in comparison, they're nothing. That is my riches. That is the glory of my riches. For me to invite you into my family, for me to share my children with you, is for me to share my riches with you. Paul says God supplies our needs according to his glory, this glorious, his greatest riches in Christ. God says, I gave you my son, the heart of my glorious riches, who we unknowingly pushed aside to be born in a back alley in an animal stall. This is what we did with his riches. Then having seen his greatness and his generosity, we rejected him from our table. We gave him up to our enemies where he suffered abuse and hate. This is what we did with his glorious riches. And then out of death, he returns to offer us, we rejected him at our table. He now offers us a place at his table to share his sonship, his identity with us and a future inheritance with us. He says, I drank the cup of your hate and your death. I did it willingly. And now I give you my cup of love and life. I want you in my family. This is God's glorious riches towards us in Christ Jesus. This is the ultimate heart of generosity. This is, it's not just an example for us to follow. This is the essence of generosity. If we eat and we drink this repeatedly, ongoingly, habitually, if we do that, it will remake us. It will redefine us today. And one day it will rebirth us from the ashes of our own death into a new world where generosity reigns. Generosity grows and it flows from us as God's generosity floods into us. And this is why Paul concludes, and we conclude with this, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Let's pray. Father, this concept of your riches being poured out on us in Christ Jesus is, is something that maybe if we're, if we're Christian or if we've been in the church, we've heard that thing over and over. We've heard that saying over and over, but so often we just pass by it. We don't know what that means. The riches of your glory in Christ Jesus, you held nothing back. You've given all. Because we were poor and destitute and we rejected even your riches. But yet you, Lord Jesus, entered back in even after rejection to re-invite us to the table. Change our heart, our, our inner being. Change the affection so that we might really in a new and a fresh way, especially during this season of the year. Know the riches of your glorious grace in Christ. We ask this all in your name. Amen.